unhappiest in the saddle. <laughs> a fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit chat a hole? Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Come with me if you want to live. Hello and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And this time we are traveling back to 1997 to review the cult action rom-com classic that is Gross Point Blank. We're going back to where we began. So when we, we first started, for some our reason... Our podcasts. Our, yeah. our first few podcasts, we focus on 90, 1997 because it was uh, a great year for film. I mean, s- some people will say there were better years. 99 is a very strong year. But I think 1997 had a good sort of diverse spread of films in terms of genres and, and blockbusters, cult films. Uh, and this one, we actually put it out to a vote. So there was a few in the mix, but I think overwhelmingly uh, people voted for, for this. And I was quite surprised at how many people voted for this film, but I am very happy to be doing it. Well, remind everyone, what were the options? So we, had, we had uh, this, uh, The Fifth Element, which is also uh, 97. Um, Truman Show, which was 98. Uh, which I thought would have would have taken it, yeah. Which was uh, actually, probably, I think, the lowest, I think. And then we had the Brendan Fraser starring uh, The Mummy, not the, the Tom Cruise Mummy, the, the, the 1999 Mummy, which is a lot of fun, and I'm sure we'll get around to doing it at some point. One of the first DVDs I ever owned. Was the, I remember that, but did, did, wasn't this also one of your first DVDs as well? Am I making that up? Oh, no, no, it was. This, that's what I'm saying. So this was very much... I think the thing to point out was... Or should we get you know, into that later? <laughs> well, no, no, just the... the I mean, when, when DVD arrived, it was very much the films that were new when DVDs recent. arrived. Yeah. 99, 99, and Gross Point Blank was an action comedy that had come out very recently, so it was immediately put on the yeah. same media. So, yeah, we're going to be going to a lot of... Uh, Night Night Seven Places. We're, we're basically saying we've got some we've got some experience here. We've covered Air Force One, uh, Face Off, uh, Starship Troopers, all from this year. Yeah, I mean it is a year worthy going back. But for anyone who's listened before, you know what to expect. But for anybody else, here's George with a quick word on some general housekeeping. Retro Ramble is a light-hearted look back at the the films that Charlie and I we are we are brothers. We look back at the films that we grew up with. So talk about the films in detail so there will be spoilers from the very off we have a bit of fun with it you know what stands up why why do these why do we love these films what may have aged and you know what makes them tick along the way there may be some bad impressions and uh, maybe some light swearing but uh, yeah it comes it comes it all comes from a place of love and respect yes. Indeed. I think that's that's worth pointing out. If people think that we uh, we have uttermost respect, we understand that films take two hundred people and maybe two years to make. So we 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 do pay them the respect, but we're just having fun going back. I say for us, it's like catching up with an old friend. So over to you, Charlie. Right. So strap in. It's nineteen ninety seven. We're going back. Is it a rom com? Is it an action hitman film? We're about to find out. So, we took a retro ramble on Gross Point Blank. Here it is. Enjoy the show. Dear Points High alumni, can you 
believe it's been 10 years since you left Gross Point? Don't tease me, you know what I do for a living. I just honestly don't know what I have in common with those people anymore. And what am I going to say? Killed the president of Paraguay with a fork. How have you been? Go see some old friends. Have some punch. Visit with what's her name? Debbie. Don't kill anybody for a few days. See what it feels like. I'll give it a shot. No, no, don't give it a shot. Don't shoot anything. I, uh, I'm a pet psychiatrist. I sell couch insurance. I lead a weekend men's group. We specialize in ritual killings. Hi, I'm Martin. You remember me? Oh, I know who you are. What I miss? What, since you stood me up on prom night and vanished without a word? Home. I got you, Get, I'm putting together a little concern. You mean like a union? You in trouble? Just a moment. Welcome back, Pointer. You haven't changed a bit. Don't say that. <laughs> what do you do, Martin? Professional killer. Good oh. for you, it's a. Industry. Do you have to do postgraduate work for that, or can you can you jump right in? There's a contract out in your life, but I'm not going to do it. It's either because I'm in love with your daughter, or I have a newfound respect for life. That punk is either in love with that guy's daughter, or he has a newfound respect for life. Debbie, I'm in love with you. But I know we can make this relationship work. It's not easy for me. I always control my emotions. I just need time to change. Why don't you just join the union? This union is there going to be meetings. Of course. No meetings. I want you to think about this, and you don't have to answer it now. But Debbie, will you marry me? Do lots of 80s sound music. Mm, yum, yum, yum. John Cusack making himself look cool because he produced this mofo. Mm-hmm. Make me uh, look good. Make me look sexy. I want everything in dark clothing. <laughs> so, George, uh, Gross Point Blank, 997. Uh, I didn't recognize any of the producers, but um, the director was, was he a one-hit wonder? Or would it be uh, cool that? Well, um, so no, uh, George Armitage, I, I didn't recognize his name either, to be honest. Um, so doing a bit of research, apparently he was a Roger Corman protege and he'd done a few, written and directed a few exploitation films. So he's, okay. um, Quentin Tarantino is a big fan of his. He'd also done a well-received 1990 crime film called Miami Blues, starring Alec Baldwin. That I've never heard of. So yeah, he, I think he was a fairly niche director, but, you know, he does solid job on this. Um, but this really, uh, in terms of the production story, starts with a, an aspiring screenwriter called Tom Yankowitz. Uh, he grew up in Michigan and was living in L.A., trying to make a career as being a screen, uh, scriptwriter, was struggling. He had a part-time job in a supermarket. He was working, uh, I think, as a substitute teacher at the same time. And whilst this was going on, he received a letter for his high school 10-year reunion and got a complete like panic of, well, what have I accomplished? You know, since I left school, I've done nothing. I'm, I'm a failure, blah, blah, blah. And I'm doing nothing apart from working on this shitty hitman type story. Well, well that was it. It's like, <laughs> I'm, 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 I haven't achieved anything. And what he did, according to his brother, was that he channeled that 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 fear, that paranoia into a film script. And he's like, well, hang on. 
could this be something? And obviously making it too autobiographical about, you know, a struggling scriptwriter was going to be boring, but he had always been a big fan of crime fiction. So that's when he spun in the, okay, well, what if a guy has to go back to his high school union and he's become a hitman? Um, so he, he spun into that. And um, a lot of the characters are named after his old classmates. Joan Cusack's character, Marcella, is named after his old boss at the supermarket. So he tried shopping around the, the script, but that mix of comedy and action or, or violence didn't really get picked up. A few people looked at it, but they, they weren't too keen on the violent sort of side of it until John Cusack came across it and his production company called Fittingly New Crime Productions that he'd formed with two of his friends from Chicago, Steve Pink and D.V. Deventis, and also Jeremy Piven, who's in this, they basically bought it, so their production company. So they have actually produced a lot of other John Cusack projects. So they have done High Fidelity, which uh, I'm a big fan of. Big hit, big, big, another cult film. Yeah, um, and Hot Tub Time Machine, amongst other sort of lesser known John Cusack films. But I think this was their first sort of big big project that they did. So they took Yankovic's script, they retooled it to make it a bit more John Cusacky, a bit more along his strengths, I suppose. So um, they all had a like involvement, I say. So Steve Pink appears in the film. He's Terry, the, the home security guard guy, uh, <laughs> um, which we'll get on to. Um, and Steve Pink would also go on to, uh, as well as a writer and producer, he would also go on to direct Hot Tub Time Machine. But Jeremy Piven, so he's um, Martin Blank's best friend in this. He would go on to a much bigger acclaim. He's probably best known for being uh, Ari Gold in Entourage, the, the complete asshole a uh, Hollywood agent. Amazing, an amazing performance. He's had many, many Emmys and other awards. Yeah, he's, he's brilliant. Uh, and um, he's kind of fallen off the radar, if I'm right in thinking. He has, you know, obviously he did well with Entourage. I think he made a, I think he made a, a turn out of that last film. Uh, a ton of... I think of David Schwimmer money, as you would say. I think he seriously scored the David Schwimmer. I think they all did, but I think he especially did because he was, and I, and I think he's probably checked out at least for a while. He does pop up. I just, I, all of the roles that he kind of takes in films, like, is it old school where he's the dean? He's the dean of that, a, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, he's so good at being a, a douche, you know, it's like, but um, in this, I think he look, he comes off really well. He's got some of the great, like, I mean, we have to drop it in the, Ten years, man. Ten, ten years. You know, but it's the whole, he's getting high and it's like, they're just, it's like they put on like their adult clothing, but they're just like teenagers driving around the car going, Ten years, man. Ten, ten years. Ten years. Ten. Ten years. Ten years. I freaked out. I joined the army. I worked for the government. I went into business with myself. I'm a professional killer. That's what I did. Okay, well, can I join up? Yes! And they're, they're all talking about what's going on with your parents. You know, it's like, it's not, are you married? Have you got kids? What's going on in your life? It's like, they're, they're all like, she's living with her dad. And he asks him, how are your parents? It's like, oh, my parents got divorced. But if you think well, about it now, you wouldn't ask that sort of question. No, but it's the, um, no, but I, I think it's, it's something it shows... That they they were close when they were younger. It yeah, and that. and they were in real life. So uh, both uh, so Cusack and uh, Jeremy Piven were at high school together, um, oh, right. so that's why they have that natural rapport. And I think 
it shows that that bond because you only ask that of of your good mates. You do ask after their parents and stuff like yeah. that. I mean, yeah, it's not. You're interested. Big, yeah. yeah. Um, Go back to what you remember. So speaking of of family, so um, obviously it is it's a family affair. This film because you've got as well as you know his good friends, John Cusack brought his his uh, siblings into it. So you've got Joan Cusack, um, who's who does an amazing performance. I love it. She's in it very little, but what you get is high quality. Yeah, as, as Marcella, she, she's brilliant. Um, and I didn't realise, and I think it was um, one of our... our friend Mark, Marcus, Marcus yes, Bird. Marcus Bird, one of our long-time listeners, pointed out that his other sister, Anne, is in this. And I think she's the drunk woman in the, that accosted yeah, in the yeah, bar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's that, yeah. And I think his brother as well, Bill, turned up at some point, uh, but I'm not sure who or what they... I'm, I'm assuming maybe it's somebody at the high school dance. So, yeah, um, that's pretty much it. it it's basically the, the brainchild mainly of... It started with Tom Yankovitz and was then, I'll say, evolved into this thing from John Cusack and his company. They brought on George, George Armitage. Apparently, he had a little bit of in, input into the script as well. And he's been on record. It's well written. I I, I do like the writing in this. I think I love how I think the only thing that kind of makes it stand out is that I don't know if you've noticed the there's there's very little dialogue during the action until the end. Yeah. Where it's like mono mono. But whereas the rest of the writing is very tight for a a romantic comedy. It would be a good romantic comedy without the violence. If in all honesty, it is the writing is better than like it's smarter than I remember. I remember it being a clever film and probably clever, you know, um, we'll get into it when we, we talk about first memories in a second, but the dialogue definitely stands, stands the test of time. It's so slick. It's so, it's maybe even a little bit too cerebral for, you know, a lot of action fans. I think it's, it's a very, I'd, I'd say it's more of a satire than a rom-com uh, in some ways. I think in many ways. And I, th- I think we kind of knew that when we saw that the first time. I mean, I'm happy to dive in and talk about first memories now. Unless you've, have you got any more production nuggets? You um, the, the only main thing I was going to say was, so essentially George Armitage has said on record that, that basically they shot three movies simultaneously. They shot one that stuck to the script, one that was slightly improvised, and then one that was completely over the top. And apparently it was the completely over the top one that got used, which seems, I don't know. I don't know how much of it I believe because some of the dialogue seems so on point that you couldn't have just done that in improvisation. Apparently that means that there's lots of deleted scenes, whereas uh, I just bought a new copy on Blu-ray and it's completely vanilla. It comes with a theatrical trailer and that's it which I thought was really Oh, wow. So in this I was going to say, uh, is there a way of seeing those deleted scenes? Because it would no. be interesting to see not, anything. That would... Not a sausage, bugger all. Okay. So I was a bit annoyed no, about no, that. I had no idea what they could allude to. No. Uh, and it's, it's a shame in this, in this day and age that you think about, you know, there's all this, you know, this footage is probably sat somewhere. They haven't, well, you know, in most cases they do hold on to it. This film is such a, has become, you know, quite a cult classic that even just a a 10 minute film of of john cusack being talked about or even some like press kit stuff it just really frustrates me that it's not even that even who else would be still trying to make a career out of this film maybe jeremy piven for example why he wouldn't say you know yeah. oh yeah that was that was a crazy film to make for example you don't well, know but i say with... if you think about the amount of content 
that exists that they would have had to do promoting the film first time round. So yeah, it's it's a little bit annoying that there's not much else to to uh, work on. But that's the um, one final point I was going to say, which is is a bit tragic that you know it's it's Tom Yankovitz's script and everything, and he did steady work as a script doctor afterwards. He didn't really do much, uh, any major scripts. But in January 2013, he attended a Q&A for a, a college screening of Gross Point Blank. And it was during Q&A, he collapsed and uh, was taken to hospital and died that night. Um, and apparently he was in good health. And they said that oh, it might have been due to some bronchitis he had. So he just dropped dead in the middle of a, a Q&A for this wow. film. So wow. yeah, it's, so yeah, it's it's um it's quite a shame. And but apparently he was quite a secluded guy. He sort of kept to himself. He shunned the the limelight. But yeah, this is his 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 baby essentially. One question I would have is like, who was this marketed towards? Because. Obviously, in this podcast, we, we talk about, I think we, we, we started with 1997. One, it had been 30 years, and a lot of them were celebrating their anniversaries. And also, I think for you and I, it was, it was a very important time because we'd grown up having films fed to us, whether it was through the TV or dad's video collection. And then we started going to the cinema. There was a time when we were going to see young adult films. And this was very much the time where we were starting to appreciate adult films. So all of those films from 97. And yeah, this, this was one of them. And we hadn't necessarily seen something like it. And I think you and I would have said, this is actually quite refreshing. It's, is it a rom-com? Is it an action flick? It's mixing so many things that we like together at the same time. And yeah, looking back on it now, the writing is very good. The comedy is good. The action is good, passable, uh, enjoyable. And yeah, and it's, it's, there's a lot of traits this film has, which carried on for, well, until today, that are still quite, I would say, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, tropes that movies still use today. Well, you I could, think you, they established you, a few new ones. Well, you could argue to some extent that that sort of neurotic, ever-going dialogue is is very Robert Downey Jr., Tony Stark. You know, yeah. That, that Especially neuro- at the end, when he's going through, like when he's telling her, when, it, when it's in the house at the very end of the film, I know I'm jumping ahead, but... There is a very different when he really when he talks he really he kind of he keeps saying almost the same thing for the first half of the film and the same thing for the second half of the film but he keeps on adding to it each time and then yeah. he's it's like this rapid fire delivery and it's I think what we all like about high fidelity is hearing him talk about music and and everything else that's going on with a great cast in that it's like it's his delivery it's 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 quite captivating Cusack's very good in those two films uh, I'm a big fan of high fidelity and he captures that. I was going to say male midlife crisis, but it's probably more sort of somewhere between like quarter and, and you know, two <laughs> quarter and a third midlife crisis. Well, no, but it's this turning third. It's this what this film is aimed at. It's like you've had 10 years in school. 10 years, man, 10 years. Um, what have you done with yourself? And yeah. I think he plays that character very well. Well, you know, I've done this, I've done that. And he's done that in a few other films, High Fidelity nope. and whatever. You know, but what are you cap- doing with your life? He captures that inner, vocalizing that inner dialogue dialogue of what's going on in your head those those fears those insecurities and it's brilliant the the fact that that that's how this you know the whole 
spin of this film is that it works on different levels. The fact that, you know, you'd think a, a hitman is going to be ultra confident. He's going to be obviously confident in his job and so meticulous, but yet when it comes to going home and seeing his whole high school crowd, he's a mess. Well, yeah, because, like, I mean, it's funny that this is a character that we keep on revisiting, whether it's um, Leon, you know, or whether it's Gross Point Blank, both 90s. And then, like, what was – before them, you had the Charles Bronson Death Wish. We had the Dirty Harry, and now we've got John Wick. It's funny how that we keep going back to this one lone figure who is mm. out for justice. You know, you know, all this sort of thing is, like – the penalty is death, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever you want to call it is the death wish or whatever. But this was, uh, that's what I love about this film. It's, uh, it's what I call a mashup. You know, it was like, mm. I was, what I really enjoyed about going to see this film was it was like, it kind of, it does the rom-com bits. Well, it does the comedy bits. Well, it does the action bits. Well, and the soundtrack is amazing. So mm. I think that's why this film really has held together over the years. It's like, it's got so much to love about it. Yeah. In all honesty, there's this sort of like, 1997 seems to stick in my mind for films quite vividly because I think it was when I first started properly reading Empire magazine. And I remember like all the features, you know, they were talking about the, you know, when they talk about the spring summer preview and that was back when you used to get videotapes with trailers on and stuff like that. And I remember Empire hyping it up, you know, that pre-hype of obviously some people had already, you know, critics already seen it and said, how smart, how funny, you know, how brilliant it was. And this was against, you know, blockbusters were getting bigger and bigger and special effects were getting crazy and crazy. You know, you think about 1997, as we frequently touch back on was, you know, summer of Batman and Robin. And, you know, you'd had things like Independence Day and, and things like that. So they were getting more spectacle driven, whereas this was getting so much buzz because it was such a great black comedy. It was so smart. And I, I think... I enjoy, you know, I would have been 14 at the time. I uh, really enjoyed it. I remember watching it on video and I think, yeah, I've, I'm trying to think, would you have been living in Edinburgh at this point? Or were you still still at home? Uh, well, think about 97 and 98. So it's like, uh, I was, uni was uh, 99 to 2001. No, 99. No, I was trying uh, to think whether we'd watch this together, but I think... No, I'm but big- I, was, I, I was coming back home quite because I was only up in Edinburgh. I was coming mm-hmm. home like at least once a month um, just to party with all the people who hadn't left the Northeast. There was still a big group of people there. But no, I remember I had the type of DVD box that was kind of like a folded cardboard. It wasn't the plastic. The, yeah, the cheap one. You know the yeah. Hey man, it was it was it was recyclable. It was cardboard, man. Uh, Mostly cardboard. No, but but you know the ones I mean. Yeah, they yeah. seem flimsy, but compared to plastic, it was just that little bit different. It had mm. like a clip round, and yeah, and it was. I don't know. I guess you say it's a great movie. It, looking back on it now, it looks like a great John Cusack vehicle um, but what, but yeah. he does a good job he does a great job and you like him more in this film than well, no, maybe some other what I was trying to say is that I, I really enjoyed it first time I watched it but I don't think I appreciated how good how clever it was you know I took it on face value that yes it was funny it had some good action but it, as we've talked about like in terms of the satire like how clever it, a deconstruction of of it's a it's a big comment on commercialization you know the whole running joke with Dan Aykroyd about you know the the union of assassins trying to commercialize you know assassinations 
Um, the fact, the that, fact that his house has become a mini mart. Exactly. Your suburban home has been, you've, you've lost your suburban home to um, a commercial entity. But You brokered the deal? Motherfucker. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, I love that. But but, it's a, they don't dwell on that very long. It's a great joke. But they, they, it's said in passing. They get in the guy's like, thank you for profiting from my childhood. He's, he's and like, they just move on. He's like, I tried. I tried to get a family in there. Yeah. Um, but also that it's a little bit postmodern in terms of that, you know, John Cusack started as a, in teen films, you know, a bit, they weren't John Hughes films, but they were very similar, like say anything and stuff like that. So they had high school reunions in them. No, he was, a high, he was a high school kid. So it was very meta. It's a bit in the same, in the same vein of the rock being, Oh, well it's Sean Connery's basically playing James Bond, but by another name. Yes, yeah. it's, it's it's like that. It's it's him. It's John Cusack's character from Say Anything. What if he left, yeah. school, graduated, and became a hitman and came back? So it's. But I didn't really get that at the time. And okay, I've only seen I've seen see, Say Anything since. Um, I don't think I've seen much of his other early work. But obviously, you and I have watched a lot of other '80s films, those high school movies. And as you say, it's. The soundtrack is amazing in this, and it's, I didn't realize until so I much. There's so much music. It's not but, just that it's good; it's the fact that we're we're kind of spoiled. I was amazed to discover, like in the credits, that the soundtrack is as I think the soundtrack is composed or arranged by Joe Strummer, who was the lead. Gu- that name sounds familiar. He was basically the lead guy from The Clash. And oh, right. looking into it, I don't think he, this was the only film proper, like official. Uh, I think he did a few like short films and films related to the Clash, but this is his only like Hollywood film that he. I think because Cusack's, as we've established with High Fidelity, he is a massive uh, music fan in real life, so he's obviously got him on board. For, for got this. some really good contacts as well. And it's yeah. very important to him if he's uh, producing the film. Yeah, he wants and, that sort of stuff. And I forgot, like, how good the soundtrack is. I mean, uh, I think I've... I did, too. I remembered it being very retro. Like, I love the, the little fact that uh, her radio station is playing out speakers and it's kind of like the mood of the town. I remember that. And I remember it having some banging tracks. I didn't remember exactly how many they had. Yeah, just going through the, like, the track list for the soundtrack. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, f- yeah, for me, I really remember, and I think it's probably the first film that introduced me to um, Blister in the Sun by the Violent Femmes, but uh, Mirror in the Bathroom, Under Pressure, obviously Guns N' Roses, Live and Let Die for that brilliant um, shootout sequence in the... Uh, yeah. But I love with that bit with... Um, Live and Let Die. Do. <laughs> no, no, but um, bef- before you get, like, it starts off with Live and Let Die, but as soon as he steps into the convenience store, it goes to, like... Becomes the ace of spades. No, no, it cuts into um, Live and Let Die, transitions into, like, store music, like Pan Pipes Light, acu- like their cover of Live and Let Die. And, yeah. <laughs> and whilst he's, like, interrogating the guy, saying, you know, how long have you lived here? Or how long have you worked here? Blah, blah, blah. And then um, obviously the assassin turns up. That's when it turns into, um, I know he comes back, doesn't he? I think he t- there's two scenes at the... Uh, well, it's his house. So he keeps going back to it because it's his house. It's where he'd chill out. I love that. It's a great joke on you don't like commercialism until it actually buys your house and turns it into a convenience store. That's when you probably have a problem with it. Um, but speaking of the, the Doom 2 arcades, now this is something that I 
that took me out of the film when watching it first time around and shows my geek credentials. But I was like... Because we'd never seen one. And we would. why would Doom be in an arcade? It was, it was a PC and game. It didn't exist. It was, it was made purely for the film, apparently. I'm not sure why... We did... This was something that I can remember discussing with you and us geeking out on... Back yeah, in the day. Yeah, because I, I don't know, Doom just seemed a bit too violent to be an arcade game. I know, you know, I know we're talking about the era of Mortal Kombat and stuff, but... Um, it yeah, worked I, for that scene. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> it. Definitely guy, worked for that scene. Where the guy's like, the, the uh, employee's just like totally in his own zone whilst Carnage is going on around. Let me go I know, realize we're going all over the place on this, but um, things I loved is the I love the the fact that I say it's you know it's it's part of the satire and the commercialization of um, being a mercenary. But I just love how mundane Martin Blank's office is. You know, when he goes in to see Marcella, he's got like it's like a a cheap lawyer's office, isn't it? Yeah. You've got filing cabinets. You've got the paintings of ships on the wall, and it's like she's <laughs> she she's arguing with suppliers about the price of bullets. I just love whilst, that. Whilst giving uh, cooking advice at the same time on two different lines. Yeah, you know, I just love that sort of, that mundaneness of it all. Just like, of, of, oh, this is how the, you know, this is how, what goes on in their spare time sort of type thing. I think there's, a, well, as well as the live and let die cover, you've got another Bond reference with the, the poison trick. Yes, with down the line, I was like, that's such a homage to You Only Live Twice. Because it's the same thing in You Only Live Twice, doesn't it? It's uh, just the it's, last second he moves. Yeah, well, because, yeah, he moves and then his wife is... is, is, is his, new, his, his bride. My, his Japanese, bride. my Japanese bride gets the potion. And my, and my chest hair taken out for this. I got turned into Spock. Um <laughs> <laughs> but um, again, one of the things that I, f- I forgot about this, um, the ever-reliable Alan Arkin as the, the psychi- oh, yeah. psychiatrist that's more neurotic than his patients. Shouldn't you be taking notes or something? I'm not taking notes, Martin, because I'm not your doctor. Please don't start with that stuff again. Martin, I'm emotionally involved with you. How are you emotionally involved with me? I'm afraid of you. You're afraid of me. And that constitutes an emotional involvement, and it would be unethical for me to work with you under those circumstances. Don't you think maybe you're just upset because I told you what I do for a living, and you got upset, and you're letting it interfere with our dynamic? Whoa. (laughs) Oh, he's brilliant. And I remember, like, he pops up. I mean, I'm sure he has a... I know he has a well-established career. I just haven't watched all of the films of him younger. I just know Alan Arkin from, like, 90s onwards, but... Every yeah. time he turns up, it's just like he's got that just that dry, that delivery that is just music to ears. You really sit back and listen. And I think they do a really good job of the whole shrinks, you know, the the fact that people were seeing that my, my therapist says that I shouldn't do this. And Mini Driver makes a joke about that. You've got to go to your herbalist. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. It's like your national duty yeah. to take care of your mental health. I thought that was quite an eye-opening statement to hear in a film. Yeah, I don't I, know. Was that satirical, no, but uh, or I, maybe tongue in cheek? I don't know. But I just, I just love the fact that he's just like, well, I just don't understand why my job's a problem. You know, we were making such good progress, and he's like, <laughs> you kill people. <laughs> uh, I mean, you can see where they came from with his premise. It's yeah. like give him a shrink, have everyone know, and have him tell everybody what he does. Let him be totally upfront and normal about it. It's, like, it's just a job. 
Yeah. This is it. You know, the whole thing, the whole thing about this is like, it's just, it's just what I do for a living. It's not personal. Well, that's it. The, that's one of the lines I've, I've written down. It's later in the film, but I love the line. Psychopaths kill for, kill for no reason. I kill for money. It's a job. And then he goes, that, that didn't come out right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's so true. Um, but I think we, there is some rapid fire, um, what I, what I like about this film is how you're, you're lulled into this sense of it's a rom-com, but there's a, maybe it's a black comedy rom-com. Yeah. There's going to be some murders in it. That's, that's given from the get-go. But what I like is like where it ends up in terms of, um, you know, the fact that it keeps changing the tone. You know, yeah. it's like, I th- I, and I think he suddenly starts getting very vocal at the end when he, you know, when, he, when there's the whole shootout at the house. He starts getting very, and he's like, yeah, you know, so I went to the army and I had a certain profile and it matched the thing and I did some jobs at the CIA and now I'm a contract mm. killer. And the way he goes through it and then he's like, well, you know, like democracy is actually just a, it's just an image. It's actually all governments are corrupt. And it's, it, there's some things that's like rapid fire thrown at you and he's, she's also just as, you know, she, she's well, grounded in, in, in her character and her role. She's opposing. Well, that's him, it. I know I, I really like that she's not, a, a damsel in distress like not she, at all she's she's so gutsy she she completely like humiliates him and puts him in his place from but, the get-go yeah from the get-go but obviously you know she's her own woman she she's very intelligent brilliantly played by mini driver and made me sort of miss mini driver i don't know like whether she just you know decided to she 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 was this again this was she was hot shit back then yeah so this, was well, he this, this was, ironically jeremy piven wasn't this no, was I, the beginning of jeremy star well if you think this and was the same year mini driver did uh, and was uh, nominated for good goodwill hunting so she had a blinding year for you know that's how i explained it to louise louise was like who's who's the girl in this so it's like the girl from will goes was like i'm not gonna say i said mini driver and she was like what is that a car yeah, jokes aside, uh, she was in Good Will Hunting. She's like, oh, yeah. Do you know and she, was in, she was in GoldenEye as well. Was and Louise is just like, like blank what? face. What? <laughs> Fun as fact, many darling. <laughs> <laughs> you and I were chatting about this. Like, the, there's so many good characters in this. You know, we've already talked about most of them already. But there's the little roles. You've got Hank Azaria, you know, who's... <laughs> what, the man of a thousand voices from The Simpsons is one of the D. Is it DEA agents or NSA? Um, and, uh, NSA think, agents, yeah. And yeah. again, that's it's a very convoluted plot. You know, he's going back for his high school reunion. He's botched up a few jobs. He's got Dan Aykroyd's grocer, like trying to steal the job off him. Who's called in the NSA agents? He's also got. Um, What's he called? Uh, Felix Le Poubelle. And what does Le Poubelle mean, Charlie? Rubbish. Felix, Felix the rubbish bin um, is after him as well. Um, we'll get on to him. But there's so many characters. I love, yeah, Terry, the security guard guy. And I love that whole, that whole scene where Jeremy Piven's trying to sell the house and he turns up. Oh, no, but that, that's some of the best writing in this. It's like, no, no, I have the house between these hours. And it's like, yeah, yeah, but sometimes you don't know all the alarm codes. Yeah, <laughs> it's like and, doing it. and this way he's just like, John Cusack's like sounding him out. So he's like, so if I look suspicious, uh, you know, heightened circumstances, you and he's like, oh, yeah, I could totally shoot you. I could totally shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's like, oh, well, uh, how'd you get the job? And he's like, well, they were hiring and it was a two, <laughs> and it was a two week course. And it's just like, and I was just, it's, it's so prescient. Like, you know, you think about this was, you know, 23 years ago, 
you know, obviously... The, I'm a cop. Well, that's it, you know, and this, you know, the summer of the police and everything, but it's that corporate America thing of, is that your right as an American? And we've, we've commercialized the security force so they can shoot on site as well. So there's a lot going on. I like the fact that this was a theme that we'd see, and I feel like it began in the 90s. It probably didn't. But the idea that there had to be three opposing forces. I just feel like retro cinema, there was a lot of good versus evil, good versus evil. And after there was a different, you know, it was another level. It was like, there has to be, if there's a hero, there has to be two people after him, yeah. you know? And that's why you've got the union. You've got the fact that he's got this botched job that's haunting him. He's got, you've got his own mission. And then there's maybe the government who have been pulled in. But yeah, Hank Azaria, who'd also had a good year, because if I remember rightly, uh, Heat was 97 yeah. as well. Uh, was Heat 97? It was around the same time. Yeah, it was, because, I mean, uh, I would, I'm probably going to be correct of this. Heat was probably 95, actually, when I think about it. I think, it's, reason, I think it's 95, but it feels later because it looks so damn good. Yeah, 95. No, I'm just saying Hank Azaria was uh, hot. He was hot at the moment. John Cusack was, you know, I mean, let's talk about the star for a minute. He was, he had this, he had Corner, he had High Fidelity, and he's not done a lot. I mean, he did The well, Raven back in 20... Well, I was going to say, I was going to leave that... What's towards, he done? What, what have you done for his lately, John? Uh, well, he's done lots of what we'd call straight-to-video director, streaming director, DVD, whatever. He's, he's appeared, I, I can't remember who said it, but I think it was someone referred to him. He's, he's done a bit of a Nick Cage, and he seems to appearing on a lot of DVD covers or f uh, film posters looking a bit embarrassed wearing a cap and glasses on a lot of them. Um, right. And I don't know if it's like he's got a huge tax bill, he's been screwed over by... Yeah, but George, are these good films? No, not at all. <laughs> um, like, his his career's had a bit of a, a, a nosedive. Like, it's, it's a real shame. I think, for me personally, I think this is a career high for him. I think he's done some brilliant work. Yeah. Huge body of work um, to say anything. I think when you start that young, I think to bow out as he has, it seems, entering his 40s is no bad thing. If a guy's been working since he was a teenager, which he clearly has, yeah. um, you know, you're like, give the guy a break. I mean, uh, no, it's just, no, I, I, I feel... And we uh, would like to see more of him. I'd like to see him as a bad guy. Well, no, that's it. I just, I feel like he's one of the people that deserves to be in better films. It's, you know, it's a bit like, it's the same as Nick Cage that, um, I mean, Nick Cage is, is his own beast. But John Cusack, you know, as I say, he's done some brilliant stuff. He's a very witty guy. This, I, I think, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one for me, but I think this is probably a career high for him. I think the material is perfectly for him. This Also, working, working with Jeremy, the likes of Jeremy Cliven and the security guy who they were producing the film yeah. together, that sounds uh, like a pretty cushy setup. Um, but this and High Fidelity for me, I, I love High Fidelity. I think it's an amazing Americanization of a British book as well, which, you know, is, is a, a I just remember discovering that when I was a student and just thinking, this is me, oh, or hoping, hoping that I could see some of myself in any of the film's characters, but it's a great film.
also getting towards the end. There's a few things I want to uh, talk about. So there's we haven't actually got to the high school reunion yet, but it's so it's so relatable. You know, uh, Bobby Beamer, the the fucking the the, the, the bully that, <laughs> that everyone, still wants to fight you. That still wants to fight you. That wants. We've to be all a, been there. But that just wants to be loved. And I just love the, his line of. I've just got like, I've got words. You know, but, but then afterwards. <laughs> You want to do some blow? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and we've all got friends like that too. The bit I completely forgot, is it the wrestling guy that he goes up to like, hey, Blank, and like the way like John Cusack... <laughs> takes arms. him out. Debbie's dad, who is... Um, a guy Big called... actor in 24, and he's, he's a character actor from the 90s. He, he's, he's in so he's, many things. He's the general from Lethal Weapon. He's the general. He's, he's, isn't he General Mortars? General <laughs> McAllister. He's, he was in Nam. Oh, sorry, he's in Lethal Weapon, of course. Yeah, yeah. Lethal Weapon. I thought you were saying he was General Mortars. From no, he's, no, he's... Um... <laughs> He's he, it's it's general, it's not Christmas until I see General McAllister roasting his nuts in in that car. <laughs> <laughs> but final point about all the all the actors in this. So Felix Le Poubelle, and I remember this used to be you and I used to use this line all the time um, when he turns up <laughs> at the high school reunion. It is I. <laughs> and then he looks at the thing, <laughs> Sydney Fierstein. It's like yeah, it's brilliant. Have, have, you, have you been abroad? And who might you be? It is I. Sydney Feldman. It's it is I. Brilliant. Yeah. So the guy who plays him is uh, called Benny Urquides, uh, also known as Benny the Jet Urquides, who has nine black belts and was a competitive fighter in the 60s and 70s before he... I um, rediscovered him. Apparently he's... Like, he's very famous. He's in an, uh, one of the best fight scenes well, voted of all time with Jackie Chan in a film that we need to see called Wheels on Meals. Not, not Meals on Wheels, but uh, Wheels on Meals. Right. So that's, that fight he has with Jackie Chan is seen as one of the best fights ever done. I've but definitely not, seen the fight. I just haven't seen the film. Um, but not other than that, he also <laughs> appears in Roadhouse... That's and, where I know him from. And he trained Swayze for that. But the reason he got the role in this is because... The double he, douche. Is because he's John Cusack's kickbox instructor. And he learned... He taught John Cusack to kickbox in for Say Anything in the 80s. And John Cusack kept on practicing it. So it was just like, oh yeah, I need, I need somebody who can kick ass in, in my new film. Do you want to be in? So, Can we talk about that for a minute? Because I think you and I, as uh, I think probably best described as retired martial artists, he's lit. He's doing those high kicks himself, Kusak, in this. Oh, yeah. Um, it's an impressive fight when he has it. Well, the guy who I now know is, is obviously his instructor. That is some showdown. I remember I was like, oh, no, got to pause this bit. I'll come back. You know, I'll refill my glass. This is going to be a great scene. It's brilliantly choreographed. Still stands up today. It's a great scene. Well, uh, apparently, uh, I think reading about the that Jackie Chan fight in uh, Wheels on Meals, apparently Benny was a man that would not pull his punches. So, like, he properly gave it his all. But I think that's why he makes it such a convincing fight scene because it just goes all out. And I imagine, obviously, if he's been sparring with John Cusack for the best part of 10, 15 years, they're going to have a good fighting rapport. And when, and when he's in the shop, you know, he's, 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 quite a, he's not just some bit player. He's, he's technically the bad guy. Yeah. And that brings us to someone who George and I have a lot of love for, and I think we have to address, 
is the Aykroyd. The Dan Aykroyd in this film is... Mr. Grosser. Mr. Grosser. Whenever he is on the screen, I am ready to laugh. I don't know what it is about this guy. It's like... Well, well, for me... He's such a good bad guy, but, like, there's something about him. Is it just his film? I haven't... I know he hasn't made enough films. I have not seen him in a bad film, but that's only because... I haven't watched all the bad ones. He's been, I think he's been in his fair share of stinkers. But for me, I think this is the last, a bit like we we talked about. Gene uh, Hackman. A a bit like we talked about. Where did he go? No, but a bit like Bowfinger. Like, you know, I think Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy. I think this, for me, is Dan Aykroyd's last great role. But no, yeah, Dan Aykroyd is is amazing in this. I mean, he's, he, he seems to sort of, merge all of the Dan Aykroydisms into one role. It's a little bit dragnetty when he's like, when they're in the cafe, that face off, and he's giving his order and he's just like... What do you have? Two poached eggs, scrape off the milky white stuff, hash browns well done, English muffin for the bread and a coffee. That's when it's like reminding you of his good side. It's like, I agree with that. I was like, oh, there's some dragnet. Oh, there's some trading places. Oh, there's some spies like us. Where's, where's that line? I love the line um, that he's, it's again, in the, he's, he's shouting at him in the cafe. He's like, like, I'm going to put a bullet hole in your fucking forehead and then I'm going to fuck the brain hole. <laughs> That's when she's just turning up with her food. That is a brilliant bit of comedy. It's, uh, here are your dishes. Yeah, it's, and, no, it's, and it's the fact that, yeah, he's so, like, Matter of fact, you know, he's Homici- homicidal, completely he's, homicidal maniac, ha- handing out his vitamin pills to people. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, and the na 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 na, you know, bing bing bing, popcorn. No, he's he's amazing in this, and it's as you say, like it's it's a shame that they never made uh, a sequel of this, and it's a shame they killed him off because there could have been so much more mileage to it. Was he dead? I think in today's world he could come back from that TV on the head. Yeah, I, I, got, I, I got better. Uh, save it for DVD extras. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, shall we... Um, can, can... Well, I think, I think we're going to... Yeah, uh, we're going we're gonna to have to let them in. Okay. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. So, coulda, woulda, shoulda is where George and I discuss uh, mostly actors, sometimes directors, but actors that were considered for the roles but didn't get them. So, George, who have we got for Gross Point Blank? A uh, pretty short one, but uh, when um, Tom Yankowitz was uh, shopping around the script for this, uh, it piqued the interest of one Kiefer Sutherland and he was really keen to do it but just couldn't convince I suppose the studios or whatever to part with the money as they due to as I said earlier about that they were uneasy with that mix of violence and comedy so he had to pass on it and then it fell into the hands of uh, John Cusack. So I, I, could, use, I, could, I, could, use, I, I could definitely see him doing it. I could definitely see him doing John Cusack, and I could see I could see John Cusack do most of of Kiefer's work as well. I yeah, I can I can see Kiefer Sullen doing it, just a bit more huskier. <laughs> I went to the army. Oh no, oh no, the phone's ringing. Um, so yes, yeah, so a very very short coulda woulda shoulda. But yeah, you you were saying in terms of special features. This is DVD Additional Features. Yeah. Yeah, in terms of our DVD extras or DVD additional features, where 
where's my money? Where's the sequel? I think uh, we got an amazing response from this. Yeah, I was interested when we did the vote. And we are going to be doing that uh, maybe not every month, but every once in a while when we're a bit uncertain or we're not sure what's going on in the world and what's, what's a good thing to cover. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you want to say something? Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, well, you, you and I, it, it's funny, lockdown is, is, is prompted us as many of other people have had. Well, movie ch- schedules are changing. Yeah, yeah they are, ch- they change are changing. So, so this wasn't on our schedule, but I think we're both really glad we've done it. Yeah, I mean, I'd prefer to do it now. And I think as we will talk about later in the episode, we, we do try and keep things current. You know, there are certain films that we want to cover and there were certain films we were planning to cover this year and because certain films have been pushed back, we have adapted. There's also the fact that George, there's certain films George and I want to cover when we're together because so, so I just... Can, so certain, we can touch each other. Yeah, just so, just so, so we can have... Just so I can squeeze, just, squeeze your hand. No, it's cupping. It's called cupping. <laughs> it's not sexual. Yeah, I mean, it's just being in the same room within arm's length, obviously. But, you know, it's it's the fact that we, we, we're covering a different range of films. But, um, no, I was happy to go back to this. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's it's just one of those films that it still stands up today, but for, for reasons that are different. Well, I think the reason we didn't get a sequel, I mean, it is obviously, yeah, it does give you that closure. But I think whilst it was critically really well received i think a bit of an independent film you know like what we've said all the other films are out there yeah i mean this is a good film studios are churning them out and and film what 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 a year for film and this is on the list but is it better than i can think of off the top of my head i can think of three or four other films that are better than this film and that sometimes if people only go to the cinema twice a year yeah, you know, it's it's like that's what makes the difference. It's got to be stunning. I, I I would probably, if I was, you know, held at gunpoint and someone said, "What was your top ten for '97?" It would probably, I reckon, it would creep in there. Oh, it would definitely be top ten, but yeah. you've got to factor in that there's, uh, is it? It's it was a strong year. You know, we've it was about, a very strong year. Well, yeah. we as we've already covered. I um, mean, we haven't even got to volcano or Batman yeah. and Robin. I don't, I'm not sure, we've talked about that, I'm not sure we're ever going to get to Batman and Robin, but speaking of something you would expect, I mean, is that the, would you say that's the end of special features? I think, I can't think of any other spin-off. I think for me, what I would like to say is it did feel a bit zeitgeisty in that it felt like a kind of like the gunplay and the sound effects, the physical explosion of the Minimark blowing up is damn good. And I love the fact that they throw something at him when the debris falling afterwards. Yeah. They throw something at him and it just adds something to it. And the guy is like, no, I'm pissed. And I got to find a job, man. Find a and job. it was like, it was like really speaking to the audience. Like, what would you do if the place you were at blew up? It's like, well, I have to get another fucking job, man. Um, so yeah, I, I like, I like that. And I don't know, would it be wrong to say that this is a date movie? Why else would you put a romantic comedy with an action flick? Unless yeah. you were trying to, unless you were trying to hijack two different audiences. That's, that's the only thing I can see that stands out. No, I, I don't think there's too much violence in it. I mean, obviously there's the, the, the main fight with, uh, you know, Benny the Jet, uh, where he stabs him in the neck. Apart from that, it's not overly, like, gory. No, and the bit with the frying pan at the end. That's more Wait. Tom and Jerry-esque, you know. No, but the fact Bang. that he hits him, then he shoots him, and then he and shoots he, him, and then he hits him again. And he's got a bit of blood For me, on his face. That, that was kind of quirky. That was I found yeah. that quite satirical. It was like I'm Hitman, and he says that at one point in the film. Sometimes 
get to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. know? And she's like, oh my God, shock horror. It's like, well, I just enjoy doing a good job. And so, good yeah, I, th- I, I think one, the thing that's about this film is, uh, I think one of our Facebook followers said this, that they caught this on, on cable. Yeah. And they're like, I thought this was a rom-com and I turned it on and I watched it and I was very happily surprised. And I reckon that probably about a third of the people who've watched this film probably weren't expecting that, but would take it. And I think that's probably why it stood up to the test of time because it has actually satisfied the the diehard John Cusack fans and everybody else who liked the comedy side of it. I think it's, it is a cult film, but I think it definitely stands the t- test of time. I think it's got some great writing. Um, and yeah, as you say, I think, you know, a lot of people, it's a good, good sort of date movie. Well, but with the soundtrack as well. Cracking, I mean, it was, I, say, I, I forgot how, how good the soundtrack, the soundtrack's amazing. It's like, there's, um, is that the Killing Fields? Yeah, there's, uh, is, uh, Echo and the Bunnyman. I love that track. Yeah. Hey, it just took me back to Donnie Darko. I was like, this film and Donnie Darko have a lot in common, mainly on the soundtrack. Yeah, but like you, you could almost splice scenes together. Use because they do. I think they share at least two different tracks. But yeah, you just you get sucked back in. You're back in the eighties. It's high school, mm. even if you're thirty. Enjoy. Well, the, that's the only thing I want to say is that even though they're all, it's they're supposed to be what? Well, twenty thirty. No, well, not even that. I think tw- if you think it's ten years after high school, so twenty-seven, twenty-eight, they clearly yeah. aren't. <laughs> it's like no, they're all approaching forty. <laughs> Close yeah. to forty. So that that was the only thing. So it's like I I never went. To, I don't. I'm pretty sure you didn't. I I never went to a high school reunion. It's just like ten years felt I'm, too. It still felt too soon. But it's it's it again. It just it sums. It's so relatable. It's that awkward thing of repeatedly telling, like you know, it's like when you're in the pub at Christmas. What did you do? What? Yeah, well, and it gets really. You know, what did you, I've inherited Dad's business? I did this and I failed. I lost lots of money. Oh, yeah. I'm divorced. I did this business yeah. and it failed. I'm launching a new business. Take a pen. It, yeah. it, it's so what you so, go through. I live with my mom now. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, it's true. It's um, we all go through it. We it, all go through it. it all, we've all been there. So yeah, I, th- I think that's it. It's sort of like John Cusack. We do miss you. You know, you you were a uh, you know. Hopefully, maybe Tarantino can rediscover him or put him in something. But yeah, it seems like he's doing a bit. He's he's trapped in the sort of same bracket as Bruce Willis and. Nick Cage of just churning out I don't know if it's paying the tax bill he's had a dodgy accountant and he's having to make up for it but- I, I don't know I just I, I think we talked about this in uh, Con Air there's so many it's a Nick Nicholas Cage film and John Malkovich is in it and there's not a lot and there's there's a few other people but I think he has quite as he it's a much smaller role for him and I think if you look back at Con Air it's like he does a great job in that but he's and on the front cover that's what I mean. It's like he was still a very big actor, and in this, he's everything. And in Corner, he's very little. And if you look at this film, uh, as we we haven't really talked about, but Joan Cusack is amazing. I love her. She's fantastic in all of her scenes. Like everything she does, like when she's talking to him, and she's being really professional, and she she suggests the high school reunion, and then she's doing these like uh, you know, obviously cutting technology. Are you online? Yes, I'm online. Yeah. They're looking at files together. And she switched between lines and she's giving home ingredients one moment and um, validating or querying uh, ammunition orders the next. 
Um, I think she's amazing. And I think one of my favorite scenes in this film, I laughed out loud, I was watching, is when she's dancing around the office with the petrol can. It's like, we've all wanted to do that. If you've well, got well, a job and, well, you're, and well, you're in an office. Well, it's, it's the office space thing, isn't it? She's trashing the PC, pouring petrol. She's over. hitting a PC with a hammer. It's brilliant. And, <laughs> and, and she's smoking as well. I love that. Just like, I don't fucking care. Pouring everything with petrol, smoking. But no, she's, she's a real gem in this. And yes, I know that Joan Cusack has had a career of her and, own. And, and, and enjoyed her in other films. And John and Joan have been in other films together. I just can't remember what they are. I don't know if it's the, in The Grifters together, maybe. Or might, she might be in Say Anything, maybe. I think I've she, definitely seen another film. that. But you know, George, we've got so many films in our memories, we can't be expected to remember every small detail. That is true. That is true. Right. Well, I think are we. Uh, what have we got coming up? Well, we we weren't sure if we were gonna do it uh, because we weren't sure what was gonna happen with the release date. But yeah, <laughs> Bill and Ted Face the Music is gonna be released on video on demand and cinemas. If cinemas are open still, then who knows? Um, According to Disney, who cares about cinemas? They're releasing Mulan on streaming. Streaming's the way forward. But yeah, so we're going to do Bill and Ted, both of them. Why not? Let's do both of them. I think um, we should because we're not going to go back and do them. It's a bit like turtles. I got to go back. Well, you, but for different reasons, I would actually happily spend. I, I, I'd happily do an episode on each of them, but I think they're very different films, and I think it'd be actually good to do a comparison and get excited about what we're going to get or not get in the next one. Uh, so yes, so the next episode will be Bill and Ted, uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey, and then after that, who knows? Maybe put up to another oh. vote. Well, yeah, I like to give the people the choice, especially you know in today's world, it's nice to make people believe that there is democracy. Well, you know, we, uh, we, get, we get a lot of requests, and we have our own ever-growing list, so it's it's a and occasionally one. they they relate to the podcast, so yeah, you know exactly. exactly. <laughs> Okay, well, I've been Charlie McGee. Uh, it is I, George McGee. And we will see you next time. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you. And uh, leave us a review on iTunes if you enjoy what you Yeah, hear. shut up. They've already turned off. Oh, Do you think they're still listening? Just, just fade what, what's, it, what's, what's this Audible thing? Like, Yeah, download Audible. What is it? I don't know. We're, we're going to be on it soon. Just we're get on, it. Just get we're it. On, we're on Acast. We're on Spotify. Amazon. Amazon are buying shit everywhere. They bought uh, Audible. Uh, we're we're going to be on Amazon and Audible. We'll, get, we'll, we'll be on them soon. We're on YouTube. We're on Facebook. Don't find us. Do you OGs remember iTunes? What's that? Oh, I hate you saying. What?